At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you all here on this Palm Sunday. Let's let's pray together to start. Father in heaven, we come here today before you, a holy God. God, we start out this day remembering a week long ago for your son, a week that we know is Holy Week. But Father, I realize that some of us don't always feel holy, and that's part of our sinful condition, God, part of who we are as fallen creatures. But God, we remember that something changed at the end of that week. Something changed radically for all who believe. And so, Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would clear away everything from our mind, everything from our lives, all of the chaos of the world. I know it's difficult for us, Father, but with you, all things are possible. We're counting on that now. Give us eyes to see and hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question this morning. What is the most important decision of your life? As you think about that, maybe it's who you're going to marry. Maybe it's how many children you might have. Perhaps it's none of those. Perhaps it's where you're going to work, what kind of job you'll do in life, or the place you're going to live. Maybe how many children you'll have once you become married, if that's your goal. Maybe it's where you're going to eat lunch after we're done today. (laughs) I'm going to ask you another question. Who is Jesus? See, more than anything that I just ran off, all that list, that is the most important question of your life. It's the most important question of your life because he's the most important person in the world. You know, it's a question that many people don't put much thought into. They just kind of kick the can down the road and they don't really spend much time figuring out who Jesus is, even bothering with the question altogether. But see, everybody has to give an answer at some point. Everybody must confront themselves with the person of Christ. And whether you, whether you realize it or not when you walked into here today, your eternity is riding on the answer to that question. And today we celebrate Palm Sunday. The day that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and he came in in a triumphant way. People were laying branches of trees down. People were laying down their coats on the road, praising him. But even then, people asked, who is this? But really, who do you say that he is? Is he a man? Maybe a myth, perhaps. Or is he, in fact, God? In 2017, the Barna Group actually did a study asking U.S. adults that very question. Is he a man, a myth, 
or is he God? I want to show you and talk to you about what they found. 93% of people believe Jesus was an actual person who actually lived on the earth. Well, that's a good start. Let's see how that 93% broke down. 43% believe he was God living among humans. 31% believe he was uniquely called to reveal God's purposes in the world. 9% believe he embodied the best possible in a human life. Only 8% believed he was a great man and a teacher, but not divine. And that number itself has actually jumped to 43% as of 2022. But around the same time, Forbes magazine actually published an article about the top 100 most controversial figures ever. Jesus ranked third. One laugh. I know what you're thinking. Who could be one and two? George W. Bush and Michael Jackson. <laughs> Clearly a different time. Clearly not the story today. Uh, we could have a really interesting conversation there, for sure. Uh, I'll just say this. Uh, walking on water is way cooler than the moonwalk, hands down. Um, I'll, I'll take that to my grave. But no matter the controversy that surrounds Jesus, people can't seem to get rid of him. Why do you suppose that is? I would argue because to get rid of Jesus would be to get rid of the truth. And the world is really trying hard to do that. And truth actually is being redefined into what I personally prefer, what you prefer. But that can't be the case with truth. See, if something is true, then it has to be true for more than one person. See, truth is how you and I have consistency between us. It's how people have consistency between one another. It's how we have common understanding. It's how we can have relationship. Truth is wrapped up in who we are as human beings. See, leaving truth to what I prefer only demonstrates my capacity to use my imagination. Right? Leaving truth to what each person prefers leads to chaos, not clarity. We have to say then that truth is not what I prefer. It's not what I prefer on Monday, only to change it according to what I prefer over on Thursday. That can't be the case with truth. It's not an idea. It's not my point of view. It's not your point of view. It's not anyone's point of view. Truth is a person. God is truth. And Jesus Christ is the perfect human embodiment of truth. That's what I seek to declare today in your presence and if truth then is a person, then to deny the existence of that person is to deny truth altogether. See, it doesn't matter if you want to deny the, my existence. I stand here nevertheless in front of you. Same goes for you as well. See, to know Jesus Christ is to know the truth, but not just truth generally speaking. See, to know Christ, we can know the truth about who we are as human beings, made in his image. We can also know the truth about who he is as God, but also the truth about the life that we have because of him and what that looks like. See, this is exactly why we've called our series The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. Right? We're seeking to identify those essential things of the Christian faith. And to do that, that we are looking through the Apostles' Creed and using it as a guide to teach us in simple 
and in clear language the essential truths of the Christian faith. But it's all so that we can be certain about what we believe. And today, on the doorstep of Easter, we come to the section of the Apostles' Creed that focuses on Jesus. So hopefully you remembered these. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen. But I want to read this section of the Apostles' Creed. So let's read it together. I think we have it. Yes, there we go. All right, read with me. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Amen. Well, we come to a very significant point in the Apostles' Creed today. In the last few weeks when we declared things about God, specifically about him being creator of heaven and earth, we left all of the Eastern religions, the Eastern faiths, specifically Hinduism, behind. But now, as we focus on Jesus, we are setting ourselves apart from every other religion of the world, especially Judaism and Islam. We stand quite alone today. And I want to show you the gravity of this and the significance of this by really grabbing some words from the late theologian J.I. Packer. He says this about this part of the creed. This claim for Jesus is both the touchstone of Christianity and the ingredient that makes it unique. The whole New Testament was written to make and justify this claim. And what I really hope you see about that part of the Apostles' Creed is that Jesus shines the light on God. That's what I want you to see today. But what I want to do with our time together is answer the question, how? How does Jesus shine the light on God? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the gospel of John in order to do that. But honestly, we could look at any of the gospels. We could look at any one of the four gospels equally and show that Jesus shines the light on God and affirm what we just read on the Apostles' Creed. We could even look at a text from Paul. We could even... Look at the Old Testament. Yes, we could actually do that. And a few weeks ago, something really beautiful happened in a, in a Merce. I'm not sure how many of you are in a Merce. I can't see you all. Um, but it was really, really special. And of all places, we were going through the book of Leviticus. And we were seeing all of the sacrifices that God required of his people. All of the things that they were required to do to be holy as he was holy. And the, the gap was huge. But then it was palpable in the room. The whole focus of the room turned towards Christ. And the gratitude and the thankfulness was palpable, for sure. But John is where we're going to be, and so his gospel really does stand apart. He's an eyewitness to Jesus. He lived and walked with Jesus. And yet he omits many of the things that the other gospel writers include. For example, there's nothing about Jesus' birth or his baptism in John's gospel. Not a single parable. No ascension either. So I might ask, well, why are we in John's gospel? I'm glad you asked. Well, it's because of his stated purpose. And he states his purpose towards the end of his gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I want to read for you. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Of God, and that by believing you may, may have life in his name. Do you see why John wrote his gospel? It's so that you and I may believe. It's so that you and I may have life by the name of Jesus. But I want to look intently at how he's begun his gospel. So turn with me to John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1 will be in verses 1 to 4. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we'll start in verses 1 to 4. John writes this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Well, the first way that we see that Jesus shines the light on God is through his relationship to God. See, John starts with in the beginning, and I hope you're immediately reminded of how the Bible itself starts in the book of Genesis. It starts the exact same way. See, while the other Gospels start with Jesus' birth, or maybe even a genealogy to show how he's related to Abraham or David, John doesn't spend his time there. He goes back even further than that. See, Jesus was there before creation. That's how John has come to know him, by living and walking with him. Jesus has no beginning. He always was. But since Jesus was with God in the beginning, that means he's also distinct from the Father. He's separate. He has his own personhood. He's a separate person, Father and Son. So when you and I declare, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, we're declaring Jesus' uniqueness apart from the Father. But we're also declaring their eternal relationship as Father and Son. See, the Father is eternal Jesus is eternal, and they share eternity together. Now's a good time to grab some Tylenol if you have any and share it with those in your row. See, we also declare, though, that Jesus is our Lord. And John backs this up when he says the word was God. See, Jesus and the Father, they're equal together. They're both God. They share in the Godhead together. They're one. But Jesus is God. He's God the Son. But John uses a special kind of category for Jesus. I don't know if you caught it. He calls him the Word, the Word of God. Why this Word? Why Lagos in the original Greek? Well, in the Old Testament, the Word of God is God in his powerful and effective action. Action in creation, action in acts of deliverance, and even in acts of judgment. And this is really important because it informs our understanding as we move to verse 3. Look at verse 3. So not only has Jesus eternally existed with God, as God, he created everything. Everything was made through Jesus. Everything. Sun, the moon, the things we can see, the earth, the trees, vegetation, human beings, everything was made by Jesus. Even the things we can't see, the wind, all of the science that makes our world what it is. He made it all. You might want to pump the brakes and say, well, wait a second. I don't see Jesus at all in creation. I don't see him in Genesis chapter 1. Where is he? Each time God spoke, let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let the waters gather together. That's Jesus, the word, creating everything that we see. You know, my boys have a, um, a coin collection. 
a lot of old coins, some of which they got with, from their uh, grandfather, uh, Georgette's dad, who's now passed. But they got a lot of old coins, and they've collected them over the years. And some of them um, are pretty old that we have to use kind of like a flashlight to see their character, even a magnifying glass, to see all the individual markings on them, to see the unique characters and the special qualities. We actually have a few we think might even be a few thousand dollars in value. But see, like the flashlight and the magnifying glass, Jesus brings God up close. See, Jesus brings us all the character of God for us to see. He makes the invisible visible. He brings God to a relational distance to us. See, because Jesus is one with the Father, you and I can know the truth about God. We can also know the truth about how God has intended us to live. But also, because Jesus is the Father's only Son, who he gave for us, you and I can know the depth of God's love and grace. We can even see his the beauty of his redemptive plan to save all of the world through him. See, the Father has always been like Jesus, and Jesus has always been like the Father. Jesus shines the light on the Father through their relationship. Second, Jesus shines the light on God by enlightening everyone who believes in him. Let's go back to our text to see how this is true. John Chapter 1, go down to verse 9 and read with me there. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's stop there. See, John moves now to focusing on how Jesus coming into the world, how, did that, how that gives light to everyone. What, what is John talking about here? What does this mean, giving light to everyone? Well, Jesus enlightens everyone, not simply by being true as opposed to being false, but in true in the sense of being genuine. Jesus is the real deal. He's the genuine article. What, what's the difference? What do, what do we mean here when we say this, when we, when we read these words? But when you want a picture of what's truly good in a human life, what's pure, what's authentic, what's righteous, you look to Jesus and only Jesus. See, everything else is just a counterfeit. Everything else is misleading. It doesn't tell us what the perfect image of God is. But there's also a tragedy that John speaks of. And the tragedy is ours as human beings. See, John sees two kinds of people. Jesus came into the very world he created and people did not receive him. That's the first kind. Right? People made in his image didn't recognize him at all. Even his own people, his own ethnic group, the Jews, they didn't want him. They outright rejected him. And sadly, people continue to reject Jesus today despite all of creation that testifies to him. Even despite specific acts of grace in our life that are from his very heart to us. But the second kind of people that Jesus is not lost on everyone, John points out. 
There are some who do receive him, some who do believe in him, in his name, believe who he said he was and what he came to do. And it's for those with that faith that believe in him and receive him has come an incredible change of status. An incredible transformation into new life. John says it as the right to become children of God. And what you and I need to understand is at the time of writing of this, many people were slaves. Without rights, or without freedoms at all. And today, many are still slaves without rights and freedoms. But it's not in the same manner. It's because of the deceitfulness of sin. See, some are slaves of self-deception, that their goodness is somehow good enough. That if they do enough good things on their terms, that'll be some kind of status in eternity. Also, to what their rights to what they prefer, that's true freedom, to do whatever I want, whenever I want. That even some of us, even in the church, our works and our performance, we think that's going to give us status in eternity. How well we perform in this life, the success that we have. But let us affirm today that there is no status except the status of being redeemed by Christ. There is no status recognized by God other than the status achieved by the blood-bought sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's the only status recognized by God. And this really hits home for me because many years ago, I put a lot of status in my performance. A ton of status in my success through my vocation, through my family, how it looked. See, I would have never said that to you. If you would have asked me, I would have never admitted that. But my life showed that very clearly. And I think it's so subtle how lesser things can inform our faith. They just creep in and they inform our faith and Jesus goes unrecognized from us. This is something I think the disciples understood really well. Something the disciples caught from being with Jesus. Being enlightened by Jesus meant to them nothing else mattered. Not what they did, what they achieved. It was him. It was knowing him and glorifying him. So listen to this example from Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are actually been used by God to heal a lame man on the way they're going to the temple here. And then they preach boldly, on, literally on the porch, leading into the temple. And the elders and the high priests, they just kind of come in and arrest them. And Peter preaches again before the very people that arrest him. And this is their reaction. It says, now when they, that's the elders of Jerusalem and the, and the chief priests, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, when you believe in Jesus, he enlightens you to live in such a way that everyone knows you've been with him. Everybody recognizes that you've been with the Son of God. See, but today many Christians are enlightened more by their own preference as a Christian. Right? What they prefer, what the status of lesser things that they prefer gives them. Right? I'm a Christian, but I prefer the conservative, conservative agenda. All the things that conservatives are about, that's what I prefer as a Christian. And then that becomes what I'm about. I'm a Christian, but I prefer the progressive agenda. All the things that progressives are about, that's what I'm about. 
fill in the blank agenda, whatever your preference is, and Jesus is just lost in all the noise. Can others tell you've been with Jesus? Can they truly tell and recognize that you've been with him? See, because everyone who spent time with him, everyone that we read about in God's word, they were never the same. They were never the same. Their preference became irrelevant. Their agendas became secondary. Jesus shines the light on God by enlightening everyone who believes in him and him alone. Lastly, Jesus shines the light on God by physically making God known. Let's go back to our text in verses 14 and 18. John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'll go down to 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Wow, some powerful verses there for sure. So here we come in verse 14 to the plain language of the incarnation. When Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and would eventually be born the Virgin Mary. And you and I, we can't really grasp the importance of these, not fully. We don't have enough words, we don't have enough pages to write the importance of these words. But theologian Bruce Milne says it best, he captures it in, in these words. The greatness of this truth assaults the mind and staggers the imagination. But by that very fact also drives us to our knees in worship. See, this is as close as John gets to the details of Jesus' birth. There's nothing about a baby in a manger. There's no, no room at the end that we read in other Gospels. But collectively, the other gospel writers with John here, we can, we can affirm what we said earlier, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. It is miraculous for the word, for God himself, to take on flesh and come in the very likeness of you and I. This is supernatural power right here in front of us. So do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? See, the earliest Christians, they appealed to this. They appealed to the virgin birth as proof that God came in the flesh, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And yet there's something critical here that we can't just pass over. Something critical that is afforded by the virgin birth. And that is that Jesus is sinless. That he's free from original sin. He's free from the corruption that you and I face on a daily basis that you and I see in Nashville. See, Jesus was free from that corruption. His acts, his attitudes, his, the motives of his heart, the, the things that he desired to do as he walked on earth, all of them were faultless. All of them were free from sin. And then in verse 18, John again points to Jesus' uniqueness. And Milne again captures the beauty of what John is saying here. Listen to this. It's as if God has reached into his very being and plucked out his own heart in sending Jesus to us. I hope it's not lost on you that the word became flesh and he came for you. He came out of love. 
And you see, over and over, Jesus was asked why he was doing the things he was doing, why he was saying the things that he was saying. And he always replied that I do what I see the Father doing. All that the Father has made known to me, that's what I say to you. See, Jesus had such an intimate relationship with the Father. All he did reflected the Father's heart, reflected the Father's mind to the world that was made in his image. And near the end of Jesus' life, he said, whoever has seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus has made the Father known to all the world. So if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God sounds like, listen to Jesus speak. If you want to know how God would live his life as a human being, man, watch Jesus. If you want to know how God loves, watch Jesus love. I want to end today where we started and just ask you, who is Jesus? Who is he really to you? See, I can't really give an answer for you, but how you answer that changes everything because it means everything. It's the most important question of your life. And I want to encourage you, don't settle for a faulty description from the world. Don't settle for some soundbite that lacks any depth. Can I just be straight with you for a moment? Just don't settle at all. You have the word right in front of you. Don't be lazy. Give a little effort into finding out who Jesus is and what he came to do. Don't settle for something else. Jesus came for you. He came for me. I should tell you something about what he's all about. Get into a life group if you're not already in one. Grab a friend and read the gospel. Study the life of Jesus. Find out for yourself what he's all about. Start a Bible reading plan. Man, come to immerse. Take God up on his offer and taste and see that he's good. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.